Well, hey, friends, welcome back to the podcast, and it is always good to have you with us. And today we are continuing on in sort of this like series of episodes that that we're putting together around the post-evangelical church, where we've invited some leaders and pastors, people who are leading in this post-evangelical church space to help us sort of like fill in the lines a little bit, to color it in a bit, to get an idea and a picture of like, what is the post-evangelical church? What's going on in this space? Why why is there even like churches happening in this space? What's, what's going on here? So a few episodes ago, we heard from my friend Jason Miller, leads a church, South Bend City Church. Uh, last episode, we heard from my friend Lindsay Nobles and some of the journey that she's gone through and to help us sort of um, give a picture of somebody who's not leading a church. The next couple of episodes will be with people leading a church, and then I think the the three more, three in three or however you say that, the third episode after this is, again, somebody who's not leading a church but really is a thought leader in this space. So today we're going to get to hear from my friend Justin Morgan, and, um, and Justin has so many good things to share. I think that you're really going to appreciate what he has to share here. So I'm going to get out of the way and kick it over to that interview. All right. Well, friends, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you with us. And um, I have my friend Justin Morgan with us, who uh, started a church several years ago called Church on Morgan, which he named after himself. So we'll get into (laughs) part of some of his narcissistic tendencies a bit in this. Um, um, You and I have started to get to know each other the past year, and um, and I'm really grateful for that because I had started paying attention to your church from afar because of our mutual friend, Steve had mentioned to me one day, he's like, Hey, um, there's this church out in North Carolina called church on Morgan. And I think you would have a lot of resonance with them. You should be paying attention to what they're doing. And if you get a chance, you should get to know their pastor at some point. Um, and I think, uh, church on Morgan and you guys are out in Raleigh. Um, well, you are a uh, United Methodist Church, but I also think like you probably fit into like what we've been describing as post-evangelical um, in a lot of ways. And I wanted to have you on because uh, as I've been sharing the last several episodes on the podcast, um, I- I've been trying to invest more and more of my time in the post-evangelical space, trying to help build some stuff in that space. And people keep asking me like, well, what is that? And so I've been wanting to have you on to like just share a little bit about your journey and your church's journey to give a little bit of a picture for people. Um, so maybe maybe that's where we can start is for you as you began Church on Morgan several years ago, what was going on inside of you and what was sort of like your own faith journey that would lead you um, to start dreaming about the kind of church that you'd want to create? And then maybe we can talk a bit about the uniqueness of Church on Morgan. Mm, that's awesome. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, Mike. And I have loved um, the series and learned so much already just tuning in. So uh, I've been looking forward to this. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, what I was thinking about when we started this church um, would be a couple things. One, I've kind of long referred to myself as a bit of a church mutt. Um, my dad grew up Pentecostal and I've got uncles who are Pentecostal preachers. My mom grew up United Methodist. As a kid, we were a part of a Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, church, this kind of small um, denomination and would bounce around to Baptist churches. And um, we were in a more conservative space. And uh, my parents got divorced when I was a teenager uh, and that didn't like go really well in the more conservative spaces. So the next thing I knew we were in a Presbyterian USA church and okay. I ended up, uh, going to college at, uh, Eastern university, uh, kind of during the heyday of Tony Campolo world there and got introduced to kind of this evangelical social justice space. And so all of these things started getting in a blender and I didn't really have a clear sense of kind of who, what tribe I belonged to, what denomination I fit in, but I had met really faithful people in all those spaces. And I think I had been inspired by different bits here and there. And um, and so I think I'd been, ever since I was probably a kid, on a search for a faith community or a spiritual home where I could bring so much of that uh, with me. So I think that was a big part of kind of the background. I ended up after college working at um, uh, a mega church outside of Houston, Texas, 
uh, and then eventually ended up at Duke Divinity School. And once again, these contrasts of going from a mega church with a famous worship leader to being at Duke, where, you know, at least during the season I was there, a uh, pretty high percentage of Episcopalian, Anglican, Catholic students, um, and just this constant stretch that was happening in me and always being excited by it. Um, and so that was definitely a big part of uh, the desire to start a church was a place where we could somehow try and bring all of this into one place, or at least some of the elements of that that I had been most inspired by. And then honestly, the other part of that was that when I was uh, working at that church outside of Houston, uh, right out of college, I was a youth director, about 22, 23 years old. Uh, it was an amazing experience, but it was my first time ever being kind of in a mega church world. And um, it can be disorienting, I think, for some folks. And it kind of was for us and living in this suburban town where a lot of folks kind of knew me and I didn't even really know myself yet. And uh, and so my wife and I started um, attending this little like hippie church in uh, downtown Houston on Sunday nights. We would kind of escape our suburb and go down in the city and just sort of hide out in this church of about 70 or 80 people uh, that was full of artists and creatives. They had like a food co-op on the weekends and a, a recording studio. And uh, we were always putting up different art and they had one of the best coffee shops in town and all kinds. It's just a really beautiful, eclectic place. And uh, it was also, though it was a Baptist community, they were very much following the seasons of the church year, which I'd never experienced before, and had kind of a liturgy to their worship that included like poetic benedictions and all kinds of interesting things going on there. And that really got deep inside of me. Um, and uh, it's ultimately why I went to divinity school, went to Duke, is because I, I just said, I, I really want to be a part of something like that one day. And I understood that it might mean that I'd, the odds were I'd probably have to create it, that there weren't just lots of churches like that out there. And so went to Duke, graduated, and on the other side was interviewing at a lot of churches kind of in the southeast. And um, this church here in Raleigh, Edenton Street, uh, Edenton Street, United Methodist Church, I interviewed with them. And the senior pastor at the time had said, you know, you've got about 10 years doing youth ministry stuff. We need some help with our youth ministry. Would you come join us in that? And I kind of said, look, I, I'm willing to help with that for a season, but here's my big dream is that I want to start a church. that's kind of like this one I experienced in Houston. Um, mm -hmm. Would that ever be a possibility? And he said, well, look, I can't make any promises, but if you give us two years and help us rebuild this youth thing, I'll spend the next two years uh, trying to build support to launch something like that out of our church. And uh, long story short, that's it really happened. Wonderful. It was pretty yeah. amazing. And so for two years, we, rebuilt kind of a youth ministry. I had a ton of fun. It also gave me an opportunity to learn just the mechanics of that church and how decisions got made and how things move forward. Gave me a chance to find some real friends in that community and figure out who were maybe my people and folks who would want to go with us to start this. And uh, sure enough, two years later, we hired some new staff for the youth ministry and the church uh, launched this new initiative to start uh, what became Church on Morgan and funded that. And the rest is a really amazing story. It actually gets to why the church is named uh, Church on Morgan, which uh, at the time felt like this beautiful sign. It since uh, often feels a bit more like a curse. But Edenton Street uh, has is pretty amazing. But it's a church that sits right across the street from the Capitol uh, here in Raleigh, and it's on obviously Edenton Street, and uh, it's been on that block for over two hundred, almost two hundred and ten years now, serving the city, kind of from the heart of the city, and a big. Part of uh, the idea with the church, this, which is amazing in itself, that a 210-year-old mainline denomination, high steeple church is planting churches, right? Uh, but part of the idea was that to tell the narrative, to tell the history, that whatever new churches we started, that we would name them after the street that they found themselves on as well. Uh, as just kind of a sign of our commitment to the neighborhood, our commitment to yes, the city. Yes. That we, we were coming from a group of people who had made this place home for a very long time, and our intention was to do the same. And so we went through three or four different properties until we finally stumbled into one that's now our home. It actually sits in an intersection of Morgan and Blunt. Uh, but there's so many new people that move to Raleigh all the time, they can't figure out whether it's Blount or Blunt, and it's always awkward. And also just the idea of church on blunt, uh, especially our crowd, we're kind of known for a little bit of excessive celebration. Uh, that was going to be, that felt like a little risky. So we went with Morgan. It felt like a sign. We're like, oh my gosh, this is it. We're starting a church. It even got my name. Like we got to go for it. 
and that was a great idea for about two weeks until I had to introduce myself to somebody new to our church or any sort of um, business person who calls and wants money or whatever. And they're like, what's your name? And I'm like, Justin Morgan. What's the church's name? Church on Morgan. Okay, wait again. What's your name? And I'm like, yeah, I know. Uh, and we, <laughs> I've, I've spent the last five years trying to defend ourselves and explain that we're not a cult. And uh, I've asked the church multiple times our board over the last year or two to consider renaming the church. And they've asked me to consider renaming myself. So we're, uh, <laughs> we're in a little bit of a standoff. I think um, it only takes somebody to spend like five minutes with you to know that you're not a, uh, that you wouldn't name, you're not the kind of person who would name a church after yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, somebody might hang out with me and they'd be like, yeah, you would create Michael's really church of Christ. <laughs> but, um, but hanging out with you, people would be like, no, 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 he's, he's not that kind of guy. Um, I'm kind of curious about, you mentioned the idea that, that you begin to get introduced to the church calendar, which wasn't mm. something that I grew up with either, grew up in a very low church kind of experience. And, yeah. um, and that you started like having this resonance of like, I want to be a part of something like, what was that doing within you that you saw the need for, for building something around the church calendar? Mm. Yeah. So I think it was probably a couple things. Um, one, I grew up very churched kid. We were a Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, come back Sunday night for him saying Wednesday night, you know, Bible study, Tuesday night basketball, the whole thing. We lived at the church. My parents were involved in leadership and the rest. And so um, when you're that deep in the church and you're in kind of a contemporary space, uh, there's a couple of things that I realized over time, and it's been pointed out by so many people before, but one is for as free and um, as we thought we were, uh, the, our prayers sounded uh, pretty similar, you know, that every Sunday <laughs> as I sat there and the ushers would come up and offer the prayer over the offering, even though they were just speaking from the heart. And this wasn't like that dead rote tradition of those churches across the street. They would essentially say the exact same five phrases in a row every week. And yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think there was something about that, that that became kind of dead for me. And I was looking for better words and for uh, a deeper story or tradition or something to anchor my life on rather than just somebody's, uh, you know, extemporaneous prayer that we all copied, you know. And um, and so I'd already had a little bit of a hunger for that stuff. Uh, and then I was a, a youth pastor for a good long while. And so I, I spent a lot of weekends and Sundays preparing talks to give to kids and being in kind of that mega world, everything was about a sermon series. And so for a decade of my life, I was just regularly trying to come up with, you know, catchy topics and ideas and punchy things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I had done that long enough that I could look back and see that I really only had three or four talks. It was just the same stuff recycled over and over again. And that a lot of it was actually pretty embarrassing looking back and the way we had packaged things. And, um, and so honestly, part of it for me as a preacher was I was tired of coming up with sermon series. I spent half of my preparation just trying to figure out what I was going to talk about to begin with. And in comes this lectionary that just sort of says, here are four texts, like pick one or two for Sunday. And I was like, wow, that just cut, you know, practically that cut a whole day off of my planning. And I feel like I'm syncing up with the larger church. And it's forcing me to preach out a text that I probably otherwise either wouldn't even known existed or I would have avoided. And something about that struggle, having to face a text I wouldn't choose for myself and, and wrestle with it all week long, uh, did something really beautiful, I think, inside of me. And I watched it do something inside of our church and uh, the diet of kind of uh, these readings and teachings that we were participating in just felt um, so much healthier than what uh, I'd been a part of before. So a big part of it started with the lectionary, uh, but then that just expanded into the church seasons themselves. And, uh, and that has not gone away. I think my, you know, initially you start to learn about Lent or Advent. And then uh, you, I started getting interested in realizing Easter as a whole season and Pentecost and All Saints Day. And, it, and you dig deeper and deeper and you find there's just more and more and more. And so I, I don't know when this, for example, this podcast will release, but this Sunday is the third Sunday of Advent. And, um, and it's the week where you light the pink candle, which I never knew what that was about. And this week we kind of dug in deep to kind of learn a little bit of the history. It's uh, referred to as 
and I'm going to get this wrong. I, I say it wrong, but it's Gaudete, sure. or it looks like Godet. Um, but yeah, it, I saw you post that, and I was like, yeah. "How do you even?" It's Latin, yeah. Yeah, it's Latin, and it it's Latin, and it's uh, Latin for the word rejoice, and it comes from the fact that in a kind of um, opening prayer uh, for the liturgy on this Sunday, the first phrase is uh, "Rejoice in the Lord." Always, I'll say it again: Rejoice. And so they named the whole Sunday "Rejoice." All the lectionary texts are loosely around the theme of joy. And, um, and it's just another, it's like such a beautiful thing to realize that for hundreds of years, people in the middle of a season of darkness, of waiting, of exile, of penitence, that there's this midway break where you stop and you remember the power of joy to get you through seasons like this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the, the seasons have just shaped and formed, uh, and informed, uh, me and our church, our community in really powerful ways. I just can't imagine ever going back. And uh, and I'm more excited than ever to learn more and more of this kind of thing uh, in the days ahead. So it's it's still new to me. Um, I say that at Church on Morgan, sometimes people ask us about kind of our approach. Um, like I said, we're I'm a bit of a church mutt and our community sometimes feels that way. But I say we're sort of like the message version of high church, right? Like if you took like an Episcopal <laughs> church and put it through the message, that's kind of our vibe. And uh, so it's like, we want to, we want, we're so, uh, we, we still are so enamored by the beauty of this tradition and liturgy. Uh, but we're humble enough to recognize that the vast majority of us in the room didn't grow up with it or don't know it. So we're going to slow down and kind of explain it. We're going to put it in street so that we can all kind of join in. Um, and in that way, sometimes I think that Church on Morgan may just be kind of a gateway drug for uh, kind of po- former evangelicals on their way to the Episcopal Church. But we're just sort of this middle space that sort of takes that tradition and tries to make it accessible. I like that a lot. And um, and I've really noticed that in the the I've gotten to join with you guys because of the pandemic with your online services several times. And um, and one of the things that's been interesting to me is that. While you definitely follow a liturgy, I it doesn't feel stifling to me in the way that coming out of a low church tradition, going into I've gone into several churches that are that it feels like the liturgy sometimes is the tail wagging the dog sort of thing, like mm. where it's like everything is about the liturgy and it feels like it's so and and to mm. like my experience of of church on Morgan from afar and tell me if I'm off on this is it's like, it's the idea of like that there's this structure that, that guides us, but there's this freedom because we have the structure, it gives us this freedom. And, um, and so I feel like you have done some things to both like grab a hold of not just a historical church, but also some, some church tradition rhythms but at the same time are doing some things with that, that are fresh and feel, mm. um, oh gosh, I was going to say relevant and I don't, I don't mm. know that I like using that term, but, and I was thinking about, um, I, I wonder if, um, and you could talk to this a little bit. Um, I wrote down these values of your church that I've heard you talk about and I'm yeah. sure I don't have them all captured. But but a few of them are things like address the mess. Um, I could be wrong. Include mm-hmm. the excluded. Be curious. Make it beautiful. Yeah. Um, do you mind? Do you mind like riffing on a few of those? To sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, one that's uh, hey, just thank you for everything that you just said. They're really kind um, and encouraging. Our our values, I think, uh, you know, we're we just celebrated five years as a church. And, um, and I, I, one of the things the pandemic is kind of teaching, I think all of us is to be a little bit more gentle with ourselves. And one of the things that we're being gentle with ourselves around is kind of our organization or institution is that um, it takes some time to figure some of this stuff out about, you know, who we are as a church and what God wants for us and how we'll operate. I think, uh, for a long time, I believe this lie that we kind of had to have all that started before we had our first day of church. Like, here's who we are. Sure. Here's what we're doing. And it's been a messy kind of five years. But through the process, we've definitely got more clarity, I would say, especially about who we are, our values, kind of how we operate and behave. And some of these, obviously, as a founder, were uh, a little bit of a reflection of my leadership and appetites. But it's also very much been a um, an ongoing conversation with 
the people who've shown up and the values that they've brought. And some of these are have really been the values of the, of the community of our congregation that I've had mm. to adopt and grow into. And some of them have, have been the other way. But uh, yeah, I um, I would say like three or four that seem really, uh, I think, most pronounced and important to us right now and have stayed on the chart basically since the beginning uh, is this idea of authenticity, or we sometimes say we keep it real. We often have like questions that kind of challenge us to say, are we really doing this? And one of the questions we ask around authenticity is like, how are we pretending? And this was just a sense, you know, I I know a lot of churches are pursuing this, but it's this idea of like, I can't really connect with the fake you. And many of us grew up in a kind of a veneer, kind of a sheen at church. And so we make that practical. Like if your kids are running around in the parking lot and screaming at home, they can run around in our hallways and scream here. If you were fighting in your car, go ahead and fight in the lobby. If you were cussing out there, go ahead and cuss in here. Like it, it just is not. And uh, even on our comments, it's sort of funny on Instagram and stuff like that. Sometimes people say stuff um, and the, my kind of instincts from being in the church so long is like, oh my gosh, we got to delete that. And I'm like, no, that's like not who we are. We're like, we'll just keep it real. Like people are messy and it, this is what it is. So uh, yeah. I think there's a real authenticity kind of to who we are. I know that's a buzzword and the rest, but it's, we, we fight for that. Uh, if, if you, if everybody's watching this show, don't act like we're not, you know, whatever. So that's one, um, second, we address the mess. This is one of those values that I think our church brought, um, into the, when we, uh, got started four or five years ago, there was so much, I think a lot like right now, this moment, this has just been a season where there, there was so much really important and difficult things happening in the world around racism, gun control, immigration, sexuality, you name it, right? And uh, we learned very quickly that if uh, if something happened uh, that we were all talking about for the last four or five days and was on the news every single night, and it was filling everybody's Facebook feed, and I came in here Sunday morning, and we didn't talk about it, our folks were gone. They were like, forget it. Like, we're not putting up with that stuff. So if the church doesn't yeah. have anything to say in the most important conversations that are happening in the world right now, then I've got no interest in being here. And that was really scary, you know, uh, saying like, I guess we're going to have to talk about police brutality and um, systemic racism. And I'm not an expert in any of these things. And But I think one of the gifts has been for us as a church is just knowing we don't have an option. We're going to do it. We are going to address the mess. We're going to have these courageous conversations. And the virtue it's built in us is that we've had to learn to kind of mess up and to get it wrong and to learn how to apologize and to reconcile and to keep trying and to do better, uh, but that we will do that rather than avoid it altogether. And then maybe the last two I'll, I'll mention. One is now we kind of say it this way, you're talking about curiosity, but we say we'll learn from anyone that we want to be an open-minded community. Uh, and so, you know, we're often asking where are the echo chambers. I grew up in a tradition that was like, here are the three authors you're allowed to read. And this is the study Bible we all use. Um, and I'm honestly, I'm the, like I said, kind of part of where I came from, there's too much beauty and goodness and truth out there, uh, across not only the Christian, uh, kind of spectrum, but even outside of our own faith, that it's not uncommon to hear me in a sermon, for better or for worse, to quote John Piper and three minutes later, Rob Bell, and right after that, Oprah, and then, you know, Miley Cyrus. Like I just, it's whatever, wherever we're finding truth, we're going to kind of claim it. And we just continue to push in that way. Uh, And then the last one is, uh, and I hinted at this earlier, but that we bring the party uh, and our value is just excessive celebration. And so, um, you know, we, uh, this stuff is hard and serious and sometimes gut wrenching. And it's just always felt like we needed to balance that out with joy and celebrate. So mm-hmm. our marriage retreat looks like adult spring break. And, uh, many of the time <laughs> we think they go way too far and we all have to figure that out and apologize the next morning and the rest, but we are known for throw. We want to be known. And I think we are known even in our city as a a group of people who really know how to throw a party. Um, and so we take that all very seriously. Um, the last thing I would say, Mike, is the one that you pointed to, uh, we make it beautiful. I think we're in a season where we're realizing we once thought that was our one of our core values, just how we operate. Uh-huh. I think we're realizing it's actually bigger than that, that that, that may actually be uh, in the neighborhood of our mission or vision, if you want to use the corporate language, that we feel like as a church, uh, the thing that gets our staff up, the thing that really animates us, the thing that we could do every day and never get tired of, uh, the thing we have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder about or some edge uh, underneath is this idea that we believe that God is more beautiful 
than most people imagine, that the Christian story is more beautiful than you've heard, that there's a more beautiful way to read the scriptures, there's a more beautiful way to do justice. Um, And so our passion really is to wake people up to the beauty of God and then the beauty of each other. And um, we, for a long time, we Will you just, will you say that again? Because I got like chills as you... Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. That's the kind of thing in our community. We had a staff retreat and we were trying to get to this point of like, what is it that we all like? I was telling our staff, even though you get paid here, uh, you all volunteered to get paid here and you could have volunteered to get paid somewhere else. So why why do you do this? And we spent two days talking round and round and round. And it was actually a woman on our team, Taylor Lenhart, who's our worship leader, who I think first kind of put this language together. And when she said, I feel like part of who we are and what gets us up is that we are passionate about waking people up to the beauty of God and each other. Our whole staff had the reaction you had. We said, I'll Mm. give my life to that. We got emotional. We were like, that's it. Like the meeting's over. This is why we're going to keep going through COVID. This is why we're not going to quit. This is uh, why churches like Church on Morgan need to exist. And since that time, we've had more time to think about it and to process it. I think we've been on this stream for a long time. We just didn't have the language for it. But uh, it's a recognition that there's uh, there's multiple ways in on the God conversation. And I, I grew up in a space where it was through the lens of truth. Is it true uh, or is it not true? And it's a very like scientific, argumentative, engineering sort of approach. And it resonates with a, a lot of people. Um, there's also sort of this goodness kind of route in, right? Um, and that's uh, about like, what good are we? What good are we in the city? Or what good are we to each other, to other people? How do how we become good? Um, Both of these are really powerful and important, but we feel like there's a real gap around the beauty entrance and, and all of these inform the other. Anything that's beautiful is also true and good. Anything that's actually true is also beautiful and good. But our starting point and our emphasis, uh, we feel like is really in the space of beauty um, and helping people see uh, the beauty of God in each other. And so that's, that's deeper than a, a value for us. I think that's, that's our reason. That's our why. Yeah, I that's I love that so much. And I think you've talked to me a little bit about that. I don't think I realize like how essential it is to who you all are. Because obviously like it it doesn't take like very long to be on your Instagram to see that you guys care about beauty and even sure. you know folks listening can't can't see you right now, but I'm looking at you with this huge piece of art right behind you. Yeah. And that's obviously one dimension of beauty, but like you're talking about it bigger and more than that. And yeah. that has to do with like the way that you talk about God and the sort of worldview that you're that you're um viewing things through the lens that you're yeah. creating. Um yeah, yeah. that I th- th- that's so um I just like that so much. Um, it's been a good filter for us. I mean, not to get, you know, like I said, we will address the mess. But like one of the really big moments in the life of our church was around uh, sexuality conversation, especially we're a United Methodist Church and our denomination is kind of hashing this out right now. But uh, like without getting into the whole story, I just I realized um, we, we ultimately as a church have uh, we're, we're an affirming congregation and we have LGBTQ plus folks serving in every area of leadership and we celebrate um these individuals as people who reflect the great beauty and diversity of who God is. And and so that's kind of just the background of us, but part of how we got there and we didn't start there, but part of how we got there was through asking questions around like, what's the most beautiful way um, to live out this story. Um, we, We had spent a lot of time asking what's true, but when we started adding questions of what's beautiful and what's good, um, it changed sort of the tone and it brought a lot of clarity for us. And so now, you know, when we we do have queer folks serving communion or preaching on a Sunday or leading worship or leading in our children's ministry, um, there's just a sense of like, yeah, I can't believe we missed this. This is so beautiful, you know, um, and we yes. can't imagine going back. Right. And so it's just been a really nice, refreshing, alternative way to enter conversations is this question of like, is it but is it beautiful? You know, so, um, yeah. Can you help me? Um... I'm thinking of like folks who like some of the folks who listen to this podcast are people who are in some sort of like transition of faith. And my guess is that there's a number of them that had been brought up in churches where the truth question was the question that was first and foremost. And, um, and they've kind of felt like 
that's run its course. And, um, and, and I, I don't know if like, maybe they think like, I don't need to ask the truth question anymore, but I think I'm looking for another kind of question. Like how, how do you start to engage in the beauty question? Like what does, could you give me some sort of like scenario or like, Mm -hmm. like play that out a little bit of like, here's what it looks like when we started asking questions around beauty rather than just questions about truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, two things come to mind. Um, one, the, the challenge question that we offer, because once again, these values, they were, many of these were values for, this was a value first, now it's kind of, but we want to keep ourselves honest. It's not just pretty words on a paper. So every time we have a quarterly or an annual getaway or whatever, we go through this list. The question related to beauty, and I think it originally it was more driven by aesthetics like you were talking about, and now we see it much deeper, but it was this question of before we speak, what do people hear, Right. Um, like okay. when they engage with us, what are, what, what are people assuming about us before they hear kind of our content? And, um, there's a way of just being, uh, it's like one of my favorite kind of Bob Goff quotes is he says, don't be right. Be Jesus. I think that gets mm-hmm. at this kind of idea, right? It's just sort of like when we were, for example, when we were having this, um, conversation as a church and it was a conversation about sexuality and who we were going to be and what we believe and how we'd operate as a church. Uh, I invited in a lot of guest speakers. I tried to keep my cards very close to the chest. and uh, I had a pastor come in from a conservative um, church here in town. Um, and I had a church, a pastor come in from a more progressive church and just talk about their perspective and why they came to the belief that they did. And there was this really interesting thing. I noticed that the pastor who came in from the um, more conservative church, really eloquent, beautiful sort of um, layout, kind of doctrinal, organized, systematic theology, even brought a PhD student with him kind of as backup. Um, but there were, I knew that he had lost our crowd like five minutes in just by the tone in his voice, just hmm. by like the way, the way it sounded, the way it felt, the community that, um, it just didn't feel or smell or sound or taste like Jesus. And I knew that when this progressive pastor came in, that uh, regardless of what he said, just the way he embodied this truth, the grace that oozed out of him, the joy, the fruit of the spirit, the whatever, I'm like, he already has this crowd. And I think what happened in a lot of our community is that when they began to imagine uh, putting certain words or beliefs in their mouth, it was like, which one feels more beautiful? Which one feels more faithful to who I know Jesus to be and, and what Jesus is like? And, um, and so I don't know if that gets exactly at it, but I think it's those sorts of like, things. And we've often sort of played that. I I grew up in that. I can sort of bash kind of why that's all soft and weak and lacks reason and argument. I don't care if you like it or not. It's true kind of stuff, whatever. But, um, but I think it's real. It's, it's, uh, that we, uh, we've been given the spirit of discernment and the Holy Spirit's at work in us in some of these very real ways of, um, does that sound, does that seem, does that feel beautiful? Does that, does that reflect, is that, is that somebody being right? Or is that somebody being Jesus, you know, and Mm -hmm. we believe Jesus is the most beautiful one of all. And so, uh, if I can imagine a more beautiful way to do something, it's probably more true. It's probably more like Jesus. So that's kind of, I don't know if that helps. That's part of the way that helps a ton. I like that so much. Um, I like, I'm just so, um, taken with your church and, um, and you know this, I want to get out there real bad. And so I want, I'm going to find a time. COVID's obviously made that difficult. I would have been hanging with you guys already had COVID not hit. Um, but hopefully sometime soon in the new year, but to back out a little bit from church on Morgan specifically Mm. and, uh, um, think about like where, um, this might be a, bit of a broad question, but where do you see kind of the church in the U S kind of broadly speaking, where, where do you see things heading? Oh man. That's like a million dollar question. So, um, I, um, I think it's probably headed in a bunch of different directions. Um, I, I think it's, um, it's probably, for what it's worth, as, as we've sat and processed kind of this year and what does this mean and how hard of a pivot do we all need to take or should we be taking and the rest? I, I don't think it's probably as drastic and severe as some people fear or hope in the sense of I don't think that um, 
church buildings are all going away. Everybody's meeting in homes. We're only online. And 10 years from now, there's only five churches left um, that have, you know, cannibalized all the rest. I, I don't think that's kind of where we're headed, whether that people think that's better or worse. Uh, but I also don't think we're headed back um, to, you know, just uh, buildings packed full of people and sort of digital space as kind of an add-on. Um, I think part of what COVID helped us refine and it gave us a chance to really stop and ask bigger questions about what we were doing. I think like a lot of churches, we were just, especially if you had some momentum, you had kind of, we had caught a train, whether we liked it or not. And now we felt like we were strapped to it and where it was headed. And it allowed us to stop and go, yeah, but we don't have to do that. Like, and one of the things we realized is that, um, that our very best days as a church, the moments we were we missed the most in COVID, the, all the memories that come back and the spaces we wish we could return to, uh, were actually moments when our church was a little smaller. Uh, I asked mm. this question at our staff retreat this year. It's kind of a business question, but I thought it, I was just curious what our staff would say. And I was like, if another church moved into town um, tomorrow, and just by default, kind of who that church is. Uh, all of our people left and joined them and essentially put us out of business, what would that church be like? And why don't we just sort of become that, right? So the business, if another industry comes into your town, same thing, and you lose all your customers to them, what would they be doing that would cause that to happen? And how do you, and we wrestled with the question for a while and what our staff ended up coming to is they said, honestly, I don't think it'd be very different than what we currently do right now and worship and music and programming and the rest. I think what would cause our people to leave our church and join another one is that it would do these things, but it would be smaller. There would be a greater sense of community and connection and relationship. And um, and so I think that there's definitely going to be, you know, a race to the top on a number of these mega giga giant churches who are creating online content that will expand their reach and are going to kind of cannibalize others in that space. But I think the local church is actually going to grow smaller. Uh, one, because people who've opted out of church and realized to think kill them may not come back. People who've got used to not attending in person every week or realized that was harder than they thought may not be here every Sunday. They may tune in online more, whatever. But also because I think we're just longing for fewer but deeper relationships. And I have a higher priority on being seen and known. And and so we're trying to figure out as a church right now, how do we scale small? Like the, the roadmap I've only ever seen in the church is that um, you just keep getting bigger. Like if you ask any honest senior lead founding pastor, how big do you want to be? It's just sort of like, a little bigger, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so we're, we're kind of going, you know, we, we're really intentional about what our room looks like and the music we sing and the liturgy we use and the sermons we preach and the language and even what we wear and all the rest. But we've never taken serious that we could be really intentional about, honestly, the capacity, like what makes for the most beautiful and compelling environment for worship. And, um, and for what it's worth, for us, the conversation said, like, there's something really intimate about 20 people, and there's something really energizing about 2,000. But for us, we feel like that number of about 200 is intimate and energizing. There's something about 200 people that feels like really close, but um, engaging, right? And so when we think about all of our best moments, whether they were parties- people in a worship in a, service or 200 yeah. people like in the church as a whole? I think we're thinking more in kind of just environments. So never okay. really more than two, 250 in an environment. So we might do two or three services, but even that, that gets to, you know, what's the most beautiful way to function as a church on staff and the rest. And so uh, we found when we were pounding out three and four services on a Sunday, that was not a beautiful way for us to live. Um, and so we're, we're pretty excited about trying to figure out, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense on on paper, how we go from, how we shrink a little bit in person and create a more into curate a more intimate environment. And if that means we have to plant more churches or more people join online, or we start more uh, people gathering on Sunday mornings in homes rather than in our building. Uh, but I just think we've realized that the, the real gift of the church, that has always been the people that has always been relationships that that's, you know, that's where we're wounded. That's where we were healed as our friends at onsite often say, you know, and so w we were uh, on a path to becoming, far too anonymous. And we're, we're really set, I think, coming back on the other side of COVID of curating environments where people can feel truly seen um, and known. So I don't, I don't I, know what else yeah. the church looks like, but that's something that we're passionate about. I love the way that you're thinking about this. I mean, 
um, your church was on a trajectory where you could keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you could be famous pastor Morgan of the church on Morgan. Um, (laughs) you, you like you're on, you're on that trajectory. So this isn't like what's fascinating to me about the conversation is it's not a person who leads a church of 75 people who actually like secretly wants it to be bigger. Um, but like sort of projects out, like we're trying really hard to be the best small church because that's what people actually want. But like they have this secret ambition to want to be bigger. Um, that there's this thing where like you could put all of the right systems and mechanisms in place where you would like have this kind of exponential growth and you're asking questions of like beauty, like beauty driving that question is so fascinating to me Mm -hmm. and intimacy and trying to figure out like, okay, how do we not like get better at just systems, but how do we get better at intimacy and being known and people being seen? Um, yeah, I, I love that. Um, as we think about the church landscape in terms of like, like really broad over generalized categories. And so if you think on one end, you have evangelicalism and on the other hand, on the other end, you've got, um, progressive liberal churches and, um, and then you've got like some churches kind of popping up that don't fit either of those categories and aren't just trying to be like a moderate church, but, Mm -hmm. Um, are kind of sitting in tension between some things, between like mm. grabbing a hold of some things that that the evangelical church is valued that they also value, and grabbing a hold of some things that the progressive mm. churches value they also value. And are are you seeing much um, kind of popping up in that space? Are there things that are happening there? Are you seeing the church kind of move towards more polarized lenses? What where's yeah. that kind of happening? Yeah, I mean, I think, unfortunately, the church just kind of reflects the society and community often that it's in. And so I I feel like the church is just so pushed um, to one end or the other. And um, I think that's the real art tension of this space that we're trying to inhabit. Uh, But it's a daily task. And it's not like a middle position. It, it really is, you know, not to be cliche, but it's this sort of both and thing. And part of it for us has been realizing, um, for many of us, I mean, church, I'm worried, just be honest. Like there, there's definitely, we have a, a number of folks who worship with us who had no church background and, uh, and people who maybe grew up in a very high church tradition. They were just very disconnected and have found us. And this in many ways feels like the beginning of their faith. But for, I would say the majority of our folks are probably, uh, kind of recovering evangelicals. And what I notice a lot in that community and in myself is that there's this real tendency or temptation to sort of say, you know, I grew up in the most ridiculously legalistic kind of fundamentalist experience that you wouldn't believe the stuff that they said about women or sex or culture or whatever. And the temptation is to run to this far left progressive side only to yeah. wake up and realize that you've just adopted the flip side of the same coin, another form of fundamentalism. And, and all the people that were like the enemy and being canceled and out, you know, whether in my Baptist church, it was Catholics or Democrats or whatever. Now, all of a sudden you find yourself on the other end of the spectrum where all the people who are being canceled are all the Republicans and the Baptists. And, and it's never ending purity test to go like, who can get more extreme or who can be more faithful and who can be more. And, um, and that is just like, it, it feels like death, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we try really hard um, to avoid that trap of fundamentalism, of exchanging one for the other, but instead uh, a more nuanced and complicated, non-dualistic sort of approach to these things. And what can we learn from each side of this? Um, and as a preacher, I try, although I'm not always successful at it, to kind of be an equal opportunity offender. And uh, and so, you know, we, and, and also, I think there's a sense in which it, it comes to this humility piece you were talking about earlier, like entering every, like the only way you get the mic in a conversation in our church is you kind of agree to a couple things. And I mean, the mic, like you're sitting in a small group or you're in a committee or you're preaching on a Sunday is kind of admitting off the bat, like um, other people are also trying to be faithful. Nobody's showing up and going like, these are really unfaithful ideas that I have to propagate. Like everybody got to their position because they obviously think it's right. Right. And so other people are trying to be faithful. Uh, I could be wrong. You know, I've been wrong before. I'll probably be wrong again. Uh, my thinking has adjusted. That's actually a really beautiful and good thing that my thinking's changed over time, but I could be wrong. 
And ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. Like, I don't have to be here as your conscience telling you that you're wrong and get you get repentance out of you. Like, that's not my job. It's not my job description. So if we all show up believing that other people are trying to be faithful, that I could be wrong, and it's not my job to, like, convince you one way or the other, uh, it just creates a much more interesting space where we all learn a whole lot more. And um, and it keeps us grounded in the things that really matter. Once again, relationships and love and, and these kinds of things that have always been the kind of uh, foundation of the church, not a list of propositions about who you vote for this issue or that issue or whatever. So it's, it's hard um, to stay there. And I feel the pull all the time, especially as a, a lot of folks who came from more conservative evangelical, uh, to be honest, the pull we feel is into a liberal fundamentalism that we, I, I have to keep pulling much of our community back from myself included from time to time. Sure uh of kind of wanting to go that direction yeah uh justin i gotta tell you um i love i love being with you i love like even in this conversation i see it coming out like where when you talk about beauty like i think um the the sort of posture that you have in conversations is this more beautiful posture uh, a posture of humility the whole idea that like everyone is, everyone is trying their hardest. Everyone like, um, has come to the conclusion they have for a reason and to like, believe good things about them. Um, yeah, you give me so much hope for the church. You give me so much hope for, for what's going on in the church right now, for what's possible in the church. I'm, I'm, um, just really, really enamored with what you're doing over there at the church on Morgan. Um, yeah. So do you mind for people who um, would want to connect with you guys, pay attention to what you're doing online, watch your services, whatever, where, where can they find you at? Yeah, thank you. And Mike, I just want to say like, thank you for what you do. And you know, this has been a season, I, I think a lot of people probably heard this stat, but like 70% of pastors apparently uh, have looked, have been looking for a way out <laughs> this year. There's something mm-hmm. that came out of Barna not so long ago. Uh, that hasn't been my story, but I think it very well could have been if it hadn't been for folks like you showing up and connecting me to other people. Cause this space that we're in as compelling as it often feels and what a gift it is that God's given us a church like this also can be really, really lonely. And, um, and you're such a great connector and half of the people who've seen me through this year, you've introduced me to, and this podcast, it's amplifying, um, what's happening on the local church level, I think is so important and needed so that many of those out there who really, you know, maybe on the brink of giving up on the church, uh, realize they don't have to, and that there's an alternative. And there's a lot of us who are actually out here trying to find a, a third way. So thank you for what you're doing. Uh, as far as finding church on Morgan, um, Instagram is the one, uh, we, we've got like four or five people on staff. And so it's a lot of spinning plates. So I, I say all that we're, it's not as polished as it might seem, but so our Instagram probably gets the most attention. So that's just at church on Morgan. Uh, we do have a website. It is in serious need of an overhaul. So I'm almost embarrassed to tell you, but it's church on Morgan, uh, org. Uh, maybe look at that in January. And then, um, on Sundays you can join us at church on church. And, um, we would love for anybody who's listening to come hang out with us, uh, online or in person someday. Uh, it's always a joy to, to meet kindred folks. So thanks for this opportunity. I love it. I love it. Yeah, folks, please check out church on Morgan and, um, pay attention to Justin and what he's doing, pay attention to the church, what they're doing, especially for those of you who feel a bit church homeless right now. Um, church on Morgan is a great place to hang out. Uh, Justin, thanks so much. Thanks for your time today. I really, really do appreciate it. Yeah, buddy. Thank you for your friendship, man. It's so good, right? Oh man. I, I can't wait to get out to North Carolina and get to hang out out there and be with their community and just kind of soak in what they are doing, waking people up to the beauty of God and each other. Yes. Oh, I just love so much about Justin and about the Church on Morgan and what they're doing there. And I hope that helps to give you um, even just another picture, like their church is coming out of a background that's a bit more liturgical, a bit more um, uh, oriented in that direction, and what uh, a post-evangelical church experience is looking like in that space. 
Um, so a couple of things. Uh, I've gotten to connect with with some more of you who feel like you fit in this post-evangelical space. So um, I would love to connect with more of you. And so if you kind of feel like you are homeless, you're leading a church, or you're in church leadership, and you're like, I I kind of fit in that ecclesiologically homeless space. I, I don't really know where I belong right now. I'm, I, I don't really fully fit in the evangelical camp. Maybe I did at one time, but I don't any longer. And I don't fit in the sort of like progressive liberal church camp. Uh, and so I feel like I don't have a tribe. If that's where you're at, uh, I would love to just connect with you and have a conversation and just get to know you more and get to hear about your church. And so feel free to shoot me an email, mike at mikegoldsworthy.com. It's a great way to get in touch and we'll find a time to connect. And then um, I feel like I'm doing a little bit of like an NPR pledge drive here, but that's kind of what's going on. A part of why I wanted to have uh, uh, my friends who are leading the post-evangelical space on is because I'm trying to give more and more of my time in this direction. Uh, I'm working to help uh, catalyze, resource, and connect the post-evangelical church. And I want to spend the next two years building something that can be self-sustaining and self-sufficient that's doing that. But in order to get it to that space, I need to raise half of my salary for the next two years so that I can be giving myself over there to to help build something that can be self-sufficient and self-sustaining. And um, I'm so grateful for like uh, for some churches that have come alongside me, for a whole bunch of you, a whole bunch of individuals who are coming alongside me. Thank you so much for that. If you want to give to that I have a nonprofit. It's not my nonprofit. A friend of mine's nonprofit is kind of providing like the nonprofit covering so that you can get a tax deductible donation for this. And so if you want to be able to give uh, before the end of the year and get your year end giving in, you can do that, that you make out checks to We Ministries and you're going to mail them to me. In fact, I'm going to put I'll put the address in the show notes uh, on my website on michaelgerly.com and go to podcast. You can find the address there as well. So it's it's all up over there, but you make it out to We Ministries. I did have a friend, shout out to Jesse, who made fun of me because it has to be a check and that's just the way that this ministry works. I'm sorry there's no text to give or online giving. And some of you are have committed to, to give monthly, um, which is really sweet and generous of you, and I'm so grateful for that. And some of you are giving one-time gifts to, to just help as we get going here. And so in whatever way you're doing that, or if you just share the podcast and let other people know about this, uh, I'm just so grateful for that. And if if you want to connect, you want to find out more about what I'm doing, about um, what all is going to be happening in the post-evangelical space over the next couple of years, about who I'm connecting with, about whatever whatever you want to talk about there, I'd love to connect with you and talk with you about it. So it's again, it's Mike at MikeGoldsworthy.com. And so, friends, I'm so grateful that you would give almost an hour of your time to um, to listen to me and my friends chat. I don't take that for granted. So thanks for joining us today here on Mike's podcast. And grace and peace to you today.